Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. This is episode 443 of The Sausage Factory. In this episode, I interview Dino Patti and Tarde Grigorzik of Coherence and asked them about the design and development of their middleware multiplayer tool, Coherence. The title of Coherence is kind of ironic for this particular episode because for reasons best known to my microphone, it decided to go, oh, let's optimize everything and remove all kinds of background sound, including my own voice. So this means I had to do lots and lots of fiddling with this audio. So for this, I apologize. I'm fine. I don't really, you don't really hear me much. Thankfully, Dino and Tade, they're the ones that speak most and they're perfectly crystal clear. But I'm a bit scratchy. So apologies for that. Now, what's coherence? It's middleware, everyone. It's a tool. Feature tools on the Sausage Factory before. It makes sense. Many developers listen to this show, so I thought, well, let's have a pair of developers making a tool for others to use. Making multiplayer games is very, very difficult. So if they can make a tool that actually cuts down a lot of the, well, the back-end complexity of making multiplayer games in all different forms, by the way, not just online, but also local, local, local multiplayer and even play-by-email, that kind of stuff, asymmetric play. It's all there. They all have this system within Coherence. And you can access Coherence and find out more about Coherence at coherence.io. Uh, it's a great URL. Really, it's lovely. Input-output, see? I like that. Um, so really fascinating discussion about all sorts of things related to the complexities of making multiplayer video games. So without further ado, let's try and listen to me, if you can, <laughs> from the relative recent past 
with my annoying microphone, which I've now fixed. I really have. It won't happen again. At least, I hope not. So we just, yeah, Chris, from the recent past, who could barely hear. Could, could you, yeah, off you go. Good luck, mate. Do you know Antade? Hello. Hi, hello. Good to meet you. Could you uh, tell us who you are and what you do? Why don't you start, Dino? Uh, yeah, I can start. Uh, so my, my name is Dino. I am, I've been 20 years in the game industry. I'm best known for my time um, and uh, it played it, uh, which is a company I founded and ran for 10 years. Uh, while they created two games, uh, one called Limbo and another one called Inside. Since then, I created a game company that created a game called Somerville. Um, and these days, I am focused on how to improve multiplayer development experience um, in games. Hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Tadej Grigorcic. I'm the CTO uh, and co-founder of Coherence. I've been in the game in games industry a similar amount of time as Dino, I think. I started uh, in the demo scene in the nine, back in the 90s. And uh, I co-founded my first company when I was 18 in 99. And uh, after that, I went on to, to start a few other companies. Most recently, I ran my own studio, um, making point-and-click adventure game, <laughs> which is a very strange combination with the networking that we're doing right now. Um, my, uh, I've always been interested in everything from, you know, technology from the ground up. Uh, so I built my own engines, uh, game engines, uh, graphics engines. Uh, and then later on, I developed, uh, a for product design as well. So I'm com trying to combine all of these, um, interests to, um, in, in my current, uh, job with coherence. And uh, I'm very passionate about making things, giving very powerful technology in the hands of as many people as possible. And I really believe that making things easy to use uh, and friendly to use is the key to doing that. Wow. It's almost as if you know what the second question is, both of you. But thanks for the <laughs> intros, because it is, how did you make us start making video games? But you seem to. <laughs> seem to have flowed into that because it's natural to do that we've had this guest do that before i ask them what they do and they carry on going and here's my entire resume okay <laughs> no, i mean just... i mean i i can also like uh, yeah please do though if you want to delve into it yeah yeah, yeah. I, I so i i come also from a coding background i will admit these days i'm probably the most horrible coder i'm for sure the most horrible coder in our company and I'm not like a, a really good coder, but I have a deep, deep understanding of tech because I, I was coding stuff myself. And I just think um, I started actually in tech in, in, uh, in 2000. And I could just feel that games is one of those places where there's so many different ways uh, you can challenge yourself. You know, you can be a graphic uh, programmer, you can, you can optimize, you can do UI, you can do, there's so many ways you can, challenge your coding skills and for me that was what did it um i was coming from the tech job that actually uh, had a quite good pay uh, and i didn't care about it i joined uh, at that point the startup um the first that was doing some uh, rts games i just felt it would be such a 
And again, I don't even know because you know the it was not that I was turned on by the games, but more like the the challenges the games provided for me as a as a coder at that point. So that that's why was why I shifted. All right. What about you, Todd? You want to fill out a little bit more about how did you make your? Cause it sounds like you started. Wow, ninety nine. Yeah, sure. Year. I mean, you know, back in uh, I don't know how many listeners know about the demo scene. But uh, maybe I can give a short uh, introduction to it because it still exists, believe it or not. Or not. Uh, but the demo scene is this movement that started in, uh, I think, Finland, but in general in Scandinavia back in the 90s and spread all over where uh, people would come together, people from different backgrounds, but mainly coders, artists, uh, musicians, uh, sound designers, uh, to make real-time interactive um, demos you could call it almost uh, a video uh but in real time uh that would have you know very interesting graphics very interesting um uh, synchronization to music and would be pushing the boundaries of what technology was capable of at the time so back when i started it was the beginnings of the pc demo scene you know we had the amiga demo scene and the spectrum and commodore 64 and so forth and um, and then you know we didn't have uh, graph like 3D graphics cards like we do today, so we started up with writing all of the you know polygon fillers, everything from scratch. We would use the combination of C and assembly, uh, and then there were competitions as well uh, where you were challenged to make a whole demo in 4K or in 64K, uh, which which really you know you had to really put the boundaries of. Uh, of knowledge uh, there to make things happen, and there I made a lot of there I met a lot of people I I still consider uh, very good friends today. A lot of them uh, uh, also continued in the games industry, uh, or in graphics, or in research, and so forth. And that you know I got really inspired back then. Uh, uh, to you know, at, at the time I, I was very focused on the coding aspects, the low level stuff, uh, and a little bit of design. Uh, but I got really inspired to 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 make games, basically. So so I tried to do that for for a long time. I lived back in Slovenia uh, back then, so it wasn't that easy. We didn't have any studios to start with. Uh, so I went on to to do different. You know, the st first startup I was part of, we were doing uh, things like uh, networking with TCP and UDP. We were doing. Uh, uh, what do you call it, self-service kiosks at football games and stuff like that that would synchronize in real time and do speech recognition and, and synthesis and stuff like that. Uh, but later on, I found my way back into what I wanted to do, which is the games industry. Uh, and uh, yeah, what I love about the games industry, actually, when you compare it to any other field, is how much people help each other and uh, don't really consider each other to be adversaries in the same way as you see it in some other industries because game development is hard and uh you know i have an idea you might have the same idea but the execution is going to make the difference yes if i find, I may... I find it remarkable Wait. sorry sorry i just wanted to add to that i don't know i don't hope you use too much time on the first question <laughs> but i uh, that's uh i just being brought of something i i came to my mind um i I really like the coding to start with, and as today said, then you kind of find out how do I combine that with art, and certainly like the whole 
synergy between code and art became a thing to manage. And then later on, I find, I find out that you could also have, like you have coding, you could have design, and then you could have business. Uh, and for me now, I feel, you know, that's, it's, it's, is it called a vein diagram? You know, the three circles, like in the middle where they all meet, that's where I think it's really interesting because you can do code without great graphics and it doesn't get noticed. You can do great graphics that doesn't do anything, right? It's, then it's a movie. Uh, it could also do those things combined and you get something that they, people never see because it's 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 not, you know, it's on the wrong medium or something. When, when you combine it with business that you kind of, you know, put onto marketing and you make something in a size that people like it and the pricing people like, then you some so, uh, just get something really fantastic, I think. What do you believe are your biggest influences? Mm. That's a tough one. Mm. I mean, I have a boring one for gamers. That's fine. It doesn't matter. <laughs> but I... Uh, I I've, I don't know. I'm really uh, envious um, at Richard Branson, um, and I mean that's maybe more for business people. But uh, uh, and if you you know you know who he is, like you know he created all the Virgin stuff. Um, but I, I I love his origin story, um, and the origin story is that he um, he had this record store, right? And he um they found out that when they imported the LPs from France, I think, or whatever, they could deduct the VAT. And then they just started driving the LPs to France and back again. And then they could deduct the VAT. And they got lazy in the end and they just ended up driving the LPs, putting on the wagon, driving around the city and coming back with them again. And then they deduct VAT. And then uh, of course they, you know he got found out and uh, got a big fine. And I think it was five million pounds or something, if I remember correctly. And at that point, he like there was like there was a there was a huge problem, of course. But he was like, I, I earn one million pounds a year in one store, so I just start five stores and four more stores, and it's paid off in a year. And you know, he paid it off, and then suddenly he had a profit of five million pounds, and he was realized he realized that, oh, I can just scale, right? And I I just I just like the 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 way he thinks about scaling. I don't know how it is now, and at one point you also maybe get to another level where you have people under you doing everything. But I just think like his scaling mindset and, and, and getting the best out of people and actually treating the people well, it seems like he has a really, um, everybody who works for him uh, and work close to him, you know, he's not uh, being talked about as a douchebag as, as other of our great leaders, uh, you know, like, <laughs> um, yeah, uh, Steve Jobs or uh, maybe Elon Musk or something like, you know, they, he, uh, he like I think there's also something to them to to learn from. But uh, for 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 Richard Branson, I think this aspect of kind of being in a uh, like really smart guy, treating people well. Um, yeah, I have a very different one. I would okay. say, I I I think that's an inspiring story for sure. Yeah. But for me, it was uh, I I have to come back to the demo scene and the creativity and pushing the boundaries of tech uh, there and um and imagination as well. But when it comes to imagination, a big inspiration for me is uh, also science fiction. It might it might sound uh, weird, but uh, it's 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 actually I, I read a lot. You know, we we even have a book club with uh, fellow game developers <laughs> that we started during COVID times uh, online. But but I feel uh, some some of the works of fiction and writing 
they they really inspire me uh, with the kind of the extent of Im imagination. And I think when we think about technology, we also imagination is is what we want to unleash uh, with making things easier. Uh, another thing for me is also sports. So I, I I grew up playing basketball. I'm not particularly tall, but I uh, still did it. And we would I remember we would you know shovel snow in the winter to be able to play uh, the courts. And uh, I grew up uh, you know following uh, the careers of people like Michael Jordan and the you know the the crazy determination and competitive nature that uh, people like that had really inspired me and I think instilled in me a feeling of perseverance no matter what uh, and I think it's 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 been helpful uh, for my development I think it's also a hard one because I all like I mean I have been influenced by a lot of people a lot of times so it's also mm -hmm. it's hard to mention one specific one yeah but that was just uh, in my case what came to mind mm -hmm. speaking of hard questions oh here's here's another one I should have warned you. It gets worse. As we <laughs> There's a mini boss halfway through. It's fine. So, next question, and this is an individual thing again. What video game developer do you admire most, and why? I have this studio, which is my go-to studio for that, but it's kind of a double-edged sword, um, and I can tell you why. But uh, for me, it's always Valve. I think. They have done some of the most creative works and high quality. Uh, and I think it's so admirable how, how they can keep that quality bar up. Um, the double-edged sword comes in the way it's run. And the reason I know about it is because I think that's we, as far as I understand, because I haven't worked at Valve, it was the same culture we developed and played at. And there's something with that culture where you where you outsource so much of the way things are made that you cannot control it anymore. And in I think uh, what is Valve's demise is that like nobody can just sit down and decide to do Half-Life 3. It's, uh, it is, there's no, like it has to be a group thing coming up with it and have like to be like this dynamic thing. And that's what, standing in the way of them doing something really fantastic these days, I think. But when I look back, I really, really uh, like the Half-Life series. It's one, it's one of my favorite series because it was one of the first shooters where it was like not really a shooter. If you think about it, you don't shoot so much. It's, it's more of a story, um, an interactive story you live through. Um, and it's one of the first ones I really remember. Um, I started up Half-Life 1 and I remember I don't, I can't remember if I played it in one or two settings, but I was up the whole night, just I wanted to experience how does this end. Um, and that was one of the first games where I really, and it was one of the first shooters where I got this. Oh, no, what, what is the 2D point to? It would uh, be hard for me to point to one. I, I grew up, uh, you know, uh, loving everything that LucasArts did, LucasArts did back in the day. Uh, you know, back in the day, point-and-click adventure games were also uh, very impressive tech-wise, not just uh, with the story and stuff. Uh, but I've come to really respect uh, Nintendo and their game design choices and the, the way they push the boundaries uh, from the more modern game studio. I would say Media Molecule is an inspiration as well, started by a demo scene as well, uh, Alex Evans, among others. 
Um, these days, I, I I really like Hazelight as well, the Swedish uh, co-op uh, company. I really feel it's an interesting uh, spin, making everything uh, require at least two player players. Uh, and there's uh, there's an indie game developer that uh, makes these not in exactly super pretty games, but very very deep when it comes to game design. Uh, it's called Michael Michael Bro. Uh, it's an Australian game developer who made games like Corrupt, Corrupt, and and uh, some others that I really enjoy playing, especially on an airplane when I don't have internet. <laughs> nice. Okay. Last question of the first half. Here he comes. Can you tell us what are you playing right now? Um, that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> so my problem, if I may start again, sorry today, you can let me know. Um, my problem is that when I started developing video games, my video game consumption fell down. And it was a huge problem because I really love it. Um, I still force myself to um to play some games i want to complete at least one indie and one triple a a year it's not always going so good and sometimes it it also goes well and i maybe complete two or three indies if they're they're quite short um i mean these days i actually to be honest i i, I play a lot of different things i i play them for a reason i the last uh, game i bought and tried because I, I wanted to see what it was was tunic i was at i had seen a youtube about how they have a game design where you as you play it you learn about the game yes and when you play it the second time if i'm ever going to play it the second time if i have so much time you you know things that was not it was not gated nothing was gated because you know a lot of things were not gated because it was gated it was gated because you didn't have the knowledge so when you play two things out with the knowledge, you you understand more. And I, I really really uh, liked uh, that concept. So I downloaded it and played it. But I mean, I, I did. I, you know, I do it again. I downloaded. I played for a couple of hours. I have the Steam Deck now, so I can I can use it when I travel. Um. So I have a couple of hours here and there, and I just kind of just try to figure like get into it because you can you cannot a game is you cannot see them in trailers. You cannot see walkthroughs. Like you really have to feel the controls. You have to feel the agony of dying again and again. And then achieving what you want, uh, and 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 getting like uh, the whole feedback loop. Uh, so yeah, that's a good shout. Tunic's a wonderful game, and it's, it's very Fez-like. Yeah, Fez I also enjoy. Yeah, mm. I I like the, the game that I would say I play almost every day is uh, Rocket League. Uh, now and then, okay. trying to keep up with people twenty years my junior at least <laughs> um and uh but uh, today i played vampire survivor that was mm -hmm. uh, really surprised me with how addictive that game is i recently also played maybe a third through uh, it takes two right with, um and uh yesterday i also played uh, an oculus a game on oculus quest 2 called squingle which is uh which is a very interesting vr game uh, a, a trippy psychedelic VR game, but uh, counterintuitively is very calming, uh, which is what I like in VR. Well, they've uh, been they've been on the show. Uh, the developer's been on the show. Ben Utram. Yes, yes. Yeah, so he he recently moved. Uh, like he's in in Malmo, where I am now. Oh right. Okay. Just had lunch today. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I wanted to see what his game's about. Is it's really nice. Yeah, if you want to see how it's made or hear it's made, just 
listened to the previous episode, a number of which has escaped me for the moment. But Interesting. Uh, <laughs> yeah, just look on the archives. It's fine. It's there. Awesome. Yeah, it was a great guest and a wonderful game. And you're right. It's very trance-like. It shouldn't be because it should be frustrating because it's a, a puzzle game. But somehow he manages to create an environment in that game that doesn't get you frustrated. You just go, oh, well, I'll figure it out. <laughs> exactly. Let's end in the first half. Well done, you made it. Let's uh, move on to the second half of the show. We are going to be delving deep into coherence. Either of you can answer this first question. It's more of a request, really, because before we do that, we need to know what coherence actually is. So, please, either of you, could you describe in your own words what is coherence? Will you start? Will you say, do you say me or? Either one of you. Who's ever best at doing this elevator pitch, as they call it? I think uh, today is really good at the elevator pitch. <laughs> yeah, elevator pitch. I've heard it a time. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Dina. Um, I'll try my best. Uh, so coherence is uh, is a solution for making multiplayer games. It's um, it's the easiest way we believe to make multiplayer games, but also the most uh, powerful in many ways. Um, it's an SDK you can use with uh, Unity and in the future other engines. Uh, but it's also a network engine and a scaling uh, backend, uh, which means that you can do everything 
that you need when making a multiplayer games with a single tool. Uh, and it allows you to really have flexibility in terms of what kind of game you're making. So you can go, you can build anything from uh, a, a small session-based game to a big MMO with the same technology. And with a technology that's so easy to use that the game designer can actually use it. Uh, we've had, um, uh, we've organized multiple game jams. We also supported and collaborated with Global Game Jam uh, this year. And we've had uh, uh, dozens of game developers who had never made a multiplayer game before make one uh, over the weekend. And we were very proud of that. So this speaks to, to the ease of use aspect that I mentioned earlier. That's extremely important for us because we believe if, if we want to see more creativity uh, in the multiplayer space, we need to make these tools and the whole uh, paradigm of making multiplayer games more accessible to everybody. Wonderful. And a laudable goal, I have to say. Thank you. First technical question I have for you then. The effort spent in making multiplayer games is quite significant due to the constant variable, see what I've done there, there are human beings. Um, what does coherence do to reduce the impact that this variable has in the experience, i.e. making it less jagged, less barriers? What do you do? What does it, what does it do to smooth out that? I come with a yeah. overarching. And one of the, the challenges is that if you look at any other network SDK, you spend quite a lot of time setting it up. And because they are in general not so flexible, you need to have like a design ready in your head. So you have a design in your head. You sit down and you spend some time developing um, the, net, the, the networking um, sit there, it takes weeks, months, I don't know, depending on how advanced it is. And then you test it out. And then you figure, like at that point, that's a, you figure out if that your thought worked or not. And I think what I learned with developing games is that iteration time is critical to, to make something innovative and fun. Uh, so that's what we kind of had in our heads when we designed this. So you literally today did a video where you uh, uh, where he integrates uh, coherence within four and a half minutes or five, I can't remember, four and a half minutes. Um, and you do that right and you can just quickly start testing out. You have two clients, you find out how they want to react with the other person. So very, very quickly you find out how you want to work with it and you can iterate quickly and that that's for me that I think that's the whole key. You can there's no other system where you have so quick start time and also iteration time. You always have this start. Like you always have to have this planning phase, um, which I think kills a lot of the creativity when you make a game. Yeah, I, I couldn't have said it better. I think <laughs> it's 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 uh, um, one of the things that that we we like to think is that. We, we're moving towards making multiplayer a design choice. And um, one of the ways we, we do that is, is by, you know, you, you have a single player game. And uh, right now in, in that video that, that Dino mentioned as well, uh, we take that single player game and add 
multiplayer components without any a single line of code. And that does mean that coherence is a toy that you know is all visual and stuff, but you can interact with it with visual programming tools. And without a single line of code, you can make your single player game be multiplayer with synchronized entities and the interactions between them and so forth. Uh, and I think that's such a powerful first step when you're when you're starting to deal with multiplayer because honestly, a lot of people are very scared of this uh, entire field. And we see that at game jams um, where where people are like, what you you want to make a multiplayer game at a game jam? That's crazy. And yeah, maybe it is a little bit, uh, but uh, I think it's it's so powerful to actually make something and then see other people join in uh, from from the internet, right? Um, and um, I think you know when you think of multiplayer, there's a whole uh, you know whole uh, stack of 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 challenges. First of all, the protocol: how do you synchronize everything? So we take care of that. We wrote our own protocol. Uh, it's very lean. It's it saves bandwidth. It saves costs ultimately. Um, and then uh, the whole server side, the state replication, things like. Um, uh, you know, how do you handle if you have determinism or not? How do you do client-side prediction? All those things. But we expose them in a way that's um, not as opinionated as other uh, tools, I would say. We're opinionated in, in how to design things well, but we like to get out of the developer's way and let them integrate coherence in our game, in their game, not change their entire game to conform to, to some structure that we impose on them. And that makes it also easier to start uh, with multiplayer uh, later as a design choice. This leads me on the, the, the part about getting out of the developer's way to my next question about how coherence has been designed as an interface. And it seems to me, looking in from the outside in, looks to me like a very, it's a very scalable application or sort of say tool, it's a better way to describe. Um, what I'm intrigued about is how have you managed to define the modules within it, the various aspects and the components within it, that they are discrete from each other? Because multiplayer is such a broad spectrum, everything from Pong right through to World of Warcraft. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a string. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's, it's just... You've had to, I'm assuming, uh, forgive my ignorance on this, but I'm assuming you've had to define certain aspects of, of the items to make it so you can have this interface and it's relatively intuitive to understand what each component means. But how have you found to make each module defined and indeed viable? Thank you. Do, do you have an answer for that? Dina? I have an unsexy answer. Okay. <laughs> I mean, in some ways, it's it's also like game development, right? We started out, and we are experienced, and we had a really pretty good idea about how to to kind of set it up. But I mean, we also hit places where we kind of have to adjust, take out modules, make new modules. Uh, something we have focused a lot on, a lot on, is is using it ourselves. So really, really early, we started doing our own demos, and uh, we started doing um, a game jams internally. Uh, to test it out and it has I think just like game development where you don't know what the game is about you you just find a really good process and I think you know we from our from our experience we know that the good process of coming to something great 
but uh, you know we we didn't know the end goal uh, at least that's maybe you say something different today <laughs> uh, but i see the lot as just being a really really professional process in coming to like we defined the goals we want to achieve and then we just slowly iterated towards that testing it out what, what did we did we get closer to that um and then they're yeah, doing iterations in uh, in that direction one of so, the things that was i'm sorry to interrupt you no no i could continue iterating <laughs> on that no no i get it the, the pillar of design <laughs> yeah yeah one of the things i i i would point out is that we because we built the whole stack from the ground up we had the freedom to look at uh at the experience of making multiplayer games with fresh eyes and uh, so we were able to design it the the way we would want to use it uh and uh, to to also give us the flexibility later on to to make choices and course corrections in the development of a multiplayer game so we we did a so our visual interface for configuring what's going to be synchronized uh on the entities for instance is something that that people really like and and point point to as one of the ways uh, one of the reasons coherence is so easy to use and that was you know partly an uh, an inspired choice uh, where how we how we started with it but but also a product of all of our experience and and uh and our experience with other uh, tools, especially in a negative way, to be honest, and uh, the things that we wanted to kind of avoid uh, ourselves. Yeah. Um, but I'm not sure if that answers your question, because these days we, you know, back then we didn't have uh, UX designers per se. Now we have two UX designers in our studio that, that with the development teams and with us, uh, are developing a process where we can keep uh, innovating and driving towards these higher level goals uh, whilst uh, really taking into account all the technical uh, realities also that, that the technology is facing. So I think we're on a good path to have a stable and, uh, and sustainable uh, way of keeping to innovate in that space. Yeah. yeah. Now, my next question is about forms of multiplayer because there's everything from one-to-one -one dexterity based combat games right through to play by email strategy games <laughs> technically <laughs> they are all the same family you, you know and those play by email strategy games do still exist people do still i think you can still do it civ 6 i think i can't remember but some of the they still do them they still still can do can be done what does coherence do to cater to all these different forms? Am I, am I, have I got the right end of the stick here? But I just want to make sure that that's what it does. It, it is a package, it's a tool to allow you to make these various experiences that mm -hmm. interact with others, regardless of their form. But what does it do mm -hmm. to make sure it does fit all those, you know, one, one um, sort of uh, thing fits all? How does it do it? <laughs> Well, I hope we're doing so. So, of course, our goal is to to cater to all of these different multiplayer genres uh, in a very good way, and I think we're 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 doing that already. 
So first of all, we needed to identify what are those different uh, parameters that we need to think about. So first of all, an example I can give you, if a game is uh, a co-op game, you don't care about cheating so much, which means um, the whole business uh, choice around building a co-op game is different to a competitive game. So in a co-op game, you can do things like uh, every client is simulating their own character. And you and that's a very easy choice uh, to make, uh, and uh, it doesn't cost you as much in you know in in backend costs. You don't need the dedicated simulate uh, server and stuff like that. Uh, and uh, but but then co-op games they need things like dedicated servers, uh, authoritative hosts, and stuff like that. And then you deal with a with a whole other thing uh, set of uh, challenges. So there we 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 really try to make it easy to both switch from one to the other but also to add those things that are needed for a server authoritative game which is like things like client side prediction and and stuff like that uh and then we then we can go to to games like mmos where uh, you're basically running around in a world that constantly changes and everybody can pop in out and affect the world in a persistent way so we we added we uh, started by already you know building our tech with persistence in mind which means that that you can every entity state can can stay in the world even when nobody else is uh, simulating it and i think those things can be very powerful uh, we also deal with i mentioned rocket league before rocket league relies on determinism of the physics engine to be able to do things very fast very um uh, efficiently and uh, and uh, that's why we you know we support models like ggpo which is a client-side prediction with rollback uh, model where you basically rely on deterministic systems uh, just exchanging inputs with each other and catching up with inputs and stuff like that so it's honestly it's it's a lot of hard work to support uh, to support all those models but i i, I think because we found a way to connect them uh, with a, you know, with a, a common thread of the interface and the way the architecture of coherence works, um, we made it easy for developers to explore all of these different models within a single project. So, so that's where you you can start a game one way, and then switch to another way mid development uh, if. Uh, you know, you change course design has different, you know, ideas now or something like that. It's a great answer. And uh, I just felt compelled to ask it because it's such an important question because you, you're stating your company, your coherence covers multiplayer, but does it? Yes. What do you mean by that? <laughs> all of them, all of them, all of them, all of them. Well, I mean, it's. I mean, that's you. You mentioned when we started out that well, why is why is this not made before? I mean, we we are just hiring network experts, and we continue to just being experts in this. I mean, the whole goal is that I, I often use the example uh, when we talk about unity. If you look back fifteen years and you ask people if they wanted unity, people were like, "No, why should I have unity? I'm doing my own engine." Um, and if you ask them today, you know, hell yeah, I'm using Unity or Unreal for that matter. 
Um, and I think with the network tech, why would you, you have a game idea, why would you build up your own network tech if you can get something off the shelf that essentially does everything and does it cheaper? Uh, so that's like that's uh, I, when when we started out, I, I I could just see this is something you can package down. There's not infinite ways of doing uh, architectures in games. Everybody sits and do the same thing everywhere. If they do the same type of game, uh, so we just need to you know solve it once and solve it really well. Um, and that's what we we can do. If if you only build one game, you also don't. You cannot afford also to build something that is built to succeed you know if you get a million people you haven't built your architecture so you can have a million people uh probably if you have an mmo uh so you can only afford to make a make maybe i don't know five thousand come in and then if five thousand come in you know you have to scramble uh to to make it work for more people um and I, that's i think it's just that that's why it i think it's it's such a good idea because you can start out actually free uh, you can come a long way uh, with different architectures. You can test, you can iterate, find out what suits your game, and then when you launch, uh, like uh, yeah, the networking grows with you. Absolutely. Last question. This one's a bit sort of left field, but I wanted to ask it ever since I was reading and listening and watching videos about coherence. I have a personal interest in tabletop games or board games. I've made some and stuff, and I've experienced that aspect of one of the most oldest forms of multiplayer games that exist. <laughs> Although, granted, there are solo board games as well. We know this, Solitaire being the oldest. Is there any aspects of that industry or that tool, of that experience of them making, people making analog multiplayer games? Have you found any, uh, drawn anything from that field at all in creating coherence? And if not, have you ever considered looking into it? Or a bit of both? Well... In our team, we have a lot of people really passionate about tabletop games. Right. Uh, so it's certainly uh, affected us. Uh, also, some people making their own tabletop games. Um, I think it's uh, it's almost when you think about tabletop games, it's pure game design, right? And it's 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 almost uh, one of the purest forms and um, one of the oldest uh, forms of multiplayer. To be honest, uh, I think game, the game started as multiplayer, and then with the advent of computers, became single player all of a sudden, right? Um, so, I will, for me personally, it's it's the unrestrained um, creativity and the testing of game design concepts that inspires me because we would like to enable that in the multiplayer in the computer multiplayer space. So, Coherence, when's it going to be launched officially? It's currently being used by a number of studios for, for really, really um, promising games. Uh, and uh, we've already, we, Coherence is open to sign up and use uh, today. Uh, but we do have a, a, a date in, I believe it's June, yeah, um, June. to... to uh, launch something we call 1.0, and yep. that will come with with a number of very very big features. Um, one of them is going to be you're going to be able to actually use coherence for free in a self-hosted 
manner without using the managed backend, which is a big thing for people working, for instance, on Steam games. Uh, so we're going to, uh, our business model uh, is designed to enable um, to enable game developers to 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 de-risk their multiplayer game development. Uh, then we we're adding things like you know you're gonna be able to simulate worlds that are bigger than the 32-bit uh, uh, position space, which is gonna be exciting for people making something uh, you know that um, that's very big. Uh, and a number of other features that are going to make it faster and uh, bigger and uh, more accessible for people to make games. Uh, like especially, namely, things like um, more configuration options and more flexibility with how entities are created, how multiplayer interacts with the, uh, you know, things like pooling of uh, of of entities and stuff like that. So I think it's very exciting. Yeah. So you can find out more, everyone. If you go to coherence.io, it's all there. It's a wonderful, very clean. Whoever designed that knows what they're doing. So congratulations. <laughs> You're too uh, kind. Uh, we're clean. bringing, by, by the way, we're bringing the blink tag back. Excellent. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, well, it's been wonderful having you both on the show. It genuinely has. And likewise. It's a pleasure. Yeah. Really illuminating and delving into a tool. So the first time we've had a tool developer on the show, but this is the first time we've ever had a multiplayer tool, and uh, we've had um, the music creation tools and stuff like that, but not not multiplayer. So so thanks for very much for coming on. And uh, hey, you're more welcome to come back. We always have return guests, and maybe some other, maybe sort of like two point oh. Who knows? When, good. when whenever you want us back, we are here. It was a pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. So really the, fun and thanks for having us. No, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. But uh, yeah, in the meantime, cheers. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Thank you. Cheers. Have a great thank evening. You. you have been listening to the Sausage Factory podcast, part of the Cane and Rinse Collective. Support us for just two US dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash Cane and Rinse for early, extended, and exclusive podcasts. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitch. YouTube and at our website, canerinse.com.